You're tuned in to More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcast live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator, and he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for over 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, because more living with Jim Brogan starts now. Happy Saturday, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. You're listening to News Talk 98.7 WOKI, and it is that time of year. It's August. We're a few days into training camp for the UT football team, and that means football's right around the corner. It's absolutely one of my favorite times of year as we head into September. Um, The Tennessee Vols had tremendous success in the 2022-23 academic year. Tennessee repeated as SEC All-Sports Champion while becoming only the second school ever to sweep both the men's and women's All-Sports standing. It was very impressive. It was very entertaining with a lot of wins. New Year's Day Six Bowl, NCAA Sweet 16s, College World Series. Almost all UT sports teams placing fairly high in their respective rankings at the end of the year so you know i grew up in knoxville i'm a ut alumna and i love ut sports and i can't wait to see what the the academic year has for the sports teams for this upcoming season of course starting with football i'm very excited to talk about all things sports this morning and there's no better person we could have with us in studio than sports animal legend legend jimmy hyams he's with us this morning we appreciate him taking time out of his schedule we're going to talk about last year and then we're going to talk about the coming year and the changing landscape in college athletics jimmy it's great to have you back jim good to be here thank you for having me yeah it's great to have have you I, I asked you off air i know you're retired but it seems like every time i turn on sports talk i hear you on the radio you're at media days and you've been filling in some on sports talk but how's retired life treating you i've uh, i've thoroughly enjoyed it uh trying to live the best years of my life the way i want to live them hey well there you like go that. that's exactly what we want <laughs> yes so i mentioned there jimmy in 2022-23 tennessee repeated as sec all sports champion And was just the second time one school has swept both the men's and women's Mm all-sports standings for the SEC. How impressive is this historically for UT? Very. Uh, Tennessee sports has never been in a better position, in my opinion, with all the sports doing well. There are only a couple of sports that are lagging behind a little bit. Uh, I give Danny White a lot of credit for this. Not that he put all this together, but that he didn't break it up. For example... If you look at the top five high-profile coaches at Tennessee right now, five different athletic directors hired them. A lot of athletic directors would come in and clean house and say, i got to have my person in here. He didn't do that. The only one of those that he hired was Josh Heupel. But Tony Vitello was hired by John Curry and Kelly Harper by Philip Fulmer. Uh, you've got uh, the, the weeklies were hired by uh, Joan Cronin. So you had different people. Rick Barnes was hired by Dave Hart. You had different people that hired them. And he kept them in place. And what he's done is he's tried to make sure to give them the best opportunity to win at a high level by not getting in the way and supplying them with what they need. So I give him a lot of credit for standing pat 
in places where he should have. Yeah, and then he's continued to support tennis, which, of course, yes. Woodruff was already in place. But then mm-hmm. he hired a new – I think he hired the new tra- – the current track coach, right, track and field coach. That's correct. Yeah, so he's – but, yeah, he's str- he struck a good balance there. I hadn't really thought about the fact that he, in the five major ones, they were hired by five different athletic directors. That's mm-hmm. kind of – Shocking, if you think about it from it a is. university perspective. Let, yeah. If we look at the last 15 years, Jimmy, there's been so much change. And, of course, football is the front porch of the university, is what Joe Johnson used to say. Or maybe yeah. that was Ed Bowling said that. Um, it's really been a, a, a dark winter for Tennessee from 2008, starting in 2008, up through you know, the, the uh, exit of Jeremy Pruitt. What are the what? Are, what's different now? You mentioned Danny White, his leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, what? Wh- how have we gotten on such solid footing all of a sudden in the last three or four years? Well, the the big part of it was hiring good coaches. Uh, that uh, that'll cure a lot of uh, ill in, in in your program. And so I I give those different athletic directors a lot of credit for hiring different people. I think Danny White has been very supportive of them as well. Here, one thing I like about Danny White: first, he's a visionary. Secondly, he's a tremendous fundraiser. Uh, third, he, he, he's not only is supportive of the coaches, he's very supportive of the student-athlete. And so he's going to do what he thinks is best for them. And here's the other thing, too. He listens. He listens to his coaches. He listens to the student-athlete. He listens to the fan base. And then he takes all that into consideration, and then he goes with his, uh, his game plan. And so I, I think he deserves a lot of credit for where they are. Would they have been good with another athletic director? They probably would have been. Would they have been at this level uh, without Danny White? I doubt it. Has the football turnaround happened quicker than you thought it would? Absolutely. It's one of the great turnarounds in college sports, I think. To see what Josh Heupel inherited, and it was an absolute mess, to see that they had lost, by my count, they lost about 45 players between the start of Pruitt's last year and the start of high. I mean, that's year. extraordinary. 39 in the transfer portal, two retired because of injury, and four players Tennessee let out of their national letter of intent. That's 45 players. Now, they supplemented that with uh, a number of people that they got from the transfer portal. But for him to come in that first year, go 7-6 and six and average about 40 points a game, and then to win 11 games in year two with, with players that a lot of people – look, remember, Virginia Tech gave up on Hendon Hooker. And he was a Heisman Trophy finalist. Yeah. They gave, and other players fit in that. Cedric Tillman caught eight passes in three years, and he becomes an all-SEC caliber player and a draft pick. Uh, Jalen Hyatt really didn't do anything in 2021, and then he wins a Blitnikoff Award. So you've seen so many players develop under Heupel. He has made it fun again. And I he has how, made it fun. Ha- hasn't sure. he? We talked about Danny White listening. Well, Josh Heupel listened to his players. He came in and said – What's missing? Why are you guys not happy? Why do you not want to come to practice? Why do you not want to be in the building? He made it fun again. And part of that fun was, okay, we're going to practice football, but we're going to play dodgeball, kickball, go bowling. We're going to go do these team bonding things, which he did. He showed that he cared about the players. Uh, And when you get players to care about you, they're going to give, I think, extra effort, which I think we have seen. And for, for him to be able to beat Alabama in year two, to beat Clemson in year two, to win a New Year's uh, Day bowl game, I think it's just been a phenomenal job by Josh Heupel. It's been a lot of fun to watch it. And, and, and from my perspective, what I, one thing I love about Josh Heupel, maybe especially with what we've been through the last 15 years, he's very comfortable in his own skin. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's he's 
unbelievably competitive. There's a yeah. fire underneath there that kind of you can see there. Uh, he, you know, he's kind of has this laid back demeanor, but he's, man, he's he's a bulldog when it comes to competition, at least from my perspective. But he's so comfortable in his own skin. I think he is too. Uh, now he's from, uh, I think it's Aberdeen, South Dakota. The interesting story, Jim. I, I ran into Derek Mason. Derek Mason was a former football coach at Vanderbilt. And I saw him at the uh, SEC Football Media Days, and I said, what do you think? And he's working with the SEC Network. I said, what do you think of Josh Heupel? He said, I've got a long history with Josh Heupel. I said, how do you have a long history with Josh Heupel? He said, when Josh Heupel came out of high school, he signed with Weber State. He said, I was an assistant football coach at Weber State. He said, I had never met a freshman quarterback that smart. He said, he, he was teaching us stuff. He said, I've known him since he was 17 or 18 years old. He said, now, he lost the job to the son of an NFL coach, the quarterback job. So then he transferred to junior college, and then he went to Oklahoma. But he said, I knew that as smart as he was, that he would eventually be a really good coach. His dad was a coach. And so uh, so he, he said, I'm not surprised that Josh Heupel's had this kind of success. What do you think the outlook is for this fall? What do you think of Joe Milton? Do you think he'll have a breakout? You mentioned Hooker was yeah. kind of not – successful at virginia tech milton with all that talent in the world has not been was not successful at michigan and then was struggling a little bit that first year before he got hurt here what do you see this fall i think tennessee is going to be really good again i don't know that i think they can get to 11 wins that that's going to be hard to do uh i think joe milton's going to have a good year he may have a great year i think it's going to be hard to be as consistently good as hendon hooker was now we've seen flashes from joe milton I'll say this, if Milton plays all year like he did against Clemson when he was 19 of 28, 251 yards, three touchdowns, if he can play that well all year, then Tennessee could win 11 again. I don't know, though, that I see him being consistently at that level like Hooker was. Hooker had one of the greatest years ever for a Tennessee quarterback. I'd compare that year to anything Peyton Manning or He Shoot or anybody else did at Tennessee last year. Can Milton do that? Maybe he can. Um, he's got a good supporting cast. Uh, he is not the runner that Hendon Hooker was. So that part of the equation will not be there. Uh, will Tennessee average 47 points a game again? Probably not, but they can average 40. And that's still pretty good, right? So they got to figure out how to beat Georgia. I don't know if they can do that. they got to go to Alabama. That's going to be tough. Last year, somebody came out of nowhere and beat him. That was South Carolina. Could somebody come out of nowhere and beat him again this year? Maybe. I've got them 9-3 in the regular season with the potential to get to 10 wins if they win the bowl game. Jimmy, you've been in Knoxville for – when did you move to Knoxville? 1985. 1985. Have you After seen... swearing I'd never move here, by the way. <laughs> I'll tell you that Because you're a Louisiana later. boy, right? I am, but I'll <laughs> – I, I, you want me to tell you the story real quick? Well, we'll about, tell you what. We'll do that in the next segment. All right. Before we get before we get to break, I do want to ask you: Have you seen a quarterback with the physical raw tools of Joe Milton? No. Uh, was visiting with Cole Kublik with the SEC Network a couple of weeks ago. He said Joe Milton's the most talented quarterback on the planet. Now, there's a guy in Kansas City named Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, he ain't bad. There's some other really talented quarterbacks, but the combination of size and the arm. Joe Milton, I would argue, has the best arm on the planet. When he's quarterback, when he was here when, like, two years ago when he was playing before he got injured, he opens up every spot on that field that the defense has to defend because yes. his arm is just so in, unbelievable. It opens up every blade of grass they've got to defend. I can't wait to see Tennessee throw a Hail Mary pass at the end of the half from their own 20. <laughs> We've not seen that before, have we? 
<laughs> I hadn't thought of it, but he can do it. He can, can throw it 80 yards. He can get in the end zone. That's so, just insane, isn't it? They just have to protect long enough to get those exactly, receivers down to the end zone. That's right. We're visiting with Jimmy Himes this morning on More Living with Jim Brogan. We're talking UT sports. Of course, football's right around the corner. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more football, but then we're going to get into the overall UT athletic department. A little bit later, we'll talk about the unbelievable changing of, of things in the college landscape. So stay with us. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm Jim Brogan. We're talking Tennessee and college sports. As football is right around the corner, we've got Jimmy Himes in studio, sports animal legend joining us, who just recently retired but still fills in here and there on Sports Animal. It's always great to hear his voice on the radio. We appreciate him taking time out of his schedule. When we were, I, I, I could spend the whole show talking about Tennessee football, but I do have other things I want to cover. But before we leave football, two, I do have a couple things. One is. You know, you mentioned it's doubtful they're going to average 47 points a game again. I mean, they were number one offense in the country. Mm-hmm. They could still be great and not get those numbers. Mm-hmm. But what about the defense? Can the defense continue to progress, in your opinion? And, um, and if so, what are the, what are the, what are the <coughs> one or two keys, biggest keys? Uh, I think the defense uh, <coughs> excuse me, can progress. Uh, last year, my opinion, they had three bad games on defense. Bad games. They won two of them. One of the bad games was Alabama. Yeah. And they won that one. Another bad game was Florida. They gave up 586 yards to Florida, and they won that game. So uh, so defensively, can, do I think they can get better? I do. Uh, two reasons. One, I think their pass rush is going to be better. Even though they lost Bryce Young, they've got some good young pass rushers. I think Roman Harrison and Tyler Barron will be good pass rushers. they got some young guys coming in. Uh, whether it's Herring, whether it's uh, Carter, whether it's a young guy that I think will develop named Peace, Pierce, I think those guys, uh, Josephs is another one, I think they're going to be better with their pass rush. Here's the other thing, too. They've got enough athletes in the secondary to be at least decent. They have Land- more depth, right? Yes. More competition. Yes. And and they need to stay healthy. Now, they got banged up a lot. But they've got guys like Christian Charles. They, they've got enough guys in that secondary, Danico Slaughter, that I think are good enough athletes to be pretty good players back there. Now, last year, I remember at the Orange Bowl, a beat writer for Clemson saying, is this true? Tennessee's secondary was ranked 127th out of 128 teams. Uh, yeah. They were giving up 297 yards passing a game. So they they should be better than that. Now, now, one reason, well, there are two reasons they gave up a lot of passing yards. And one of them was the offense would get ahead, forcing other teams to throw the football. The other thing was Tennessee stacked the line of scrimmage, said you're not going to run it. So Tennessee was in the top three in the SEC and run defense. So that's another reason. Well, the third reason was the secondary wasn't very good. So those three things added up. Well, and they play more snaps, right? The offense they're the, the, they're going against or snap playing a lot more snaps because the offense is so fast for us. That that's it, and and that is a an, a popular opinion. But I'll say this, and this is going to surprise you because it surprised a lot of people. I added up Tennessee's snaps on offense last year and their snaps on defense. The defense played 2.6 more snaps per game than the offense. That's all. I thought that margin would be much different. 
I thought the defense would be on the field 10 plays per game more than the offense. Not true. Hmm. 2.6. Now, having said that, the it's still a high is, number of plays, though. Yeah, it would. Yeah, because the offense is running 70 plays a game and, and the defense is playing 72.6, something like that. But what's happening is if you score quickly, <clears throat> your defense isn't getting a lot of rest. But if you score quickly, you got an extra point, and then you got a three-minute TV timeout. So at least you're getting some rest. So I think that's a little bit overplayed about how the defense – now, the defense is put in a bad way in some occasions. I get that. If you go three and out real quick and you're punting and your defense is right back on the field, I get that. But Tennessee did not go three and out that many times last year. So I I think – uh, I think the deal about the defense wearing out is a little bit overrated because Tennessee scores so much. By scoring, you give your defense a chance to rest. Yeah. Uh, let's kind of switch gears here talk about the overall athletic department. You mentioned Danny White being a great fundraiser. Mm-hmm. Um, our budget now is up over $200 million, I believe. <laughs> yes. And so that's top five in college sports. I think that's right. Um, going by memory there. Um, how significant is that, do you think? Uh, moving forward uh, in your estimation? I think it's huge because it gives you the opportunity to stay a step ahead of the game in terms of the uh, facilities. Neyland Stadium needs a facelift, and they've been incrementally doing the facelift, but as I'm sure you remember, they had to put that facelift on pause because they didn't have the revenue. They want to expand and improve Lindsey Nelson Stadium baseball facility. Uh, They have the money to do that now. If you, didn't, if you weren't raising money, you wouldn't be able to improve Lindsey Nelson. Uh, I had a concern that when Tennessee got fined $8 million by the NCAA that it might impact their facility building, and we asked Danny White about that, and he said no. He said, we've got the money to do that, so that's not going to impact it. So I think it helps from that regard. Here's the other thing. Uh, Tennessee does this. I can't speak to everybody, but Tennessee, right now you can reward your student-athletes for their academic success. Every Tennessee student athlete that maintains their eligibility gets almost $6,000 a year. Now think about that. So if you've got 500 athletes on campus and each of them's getting 6,000 a year, that's $3 million. That's a lot of that's 3 million that was never allocated. Yeah, that's that stop in they added a few years ago right, for <clears throat> cost right. of living. Well, no, the in, cost in of living is different. The cost of living you get Tennessee gives about fifty six hundred dollars for cost of living per student athlete that's on scholarship, and now you're getting another six thousand dollars if you just stay eligible. That's almost twelve thousand dollars in your pocket. Student athletes have never had it better than they have it right now. Well, and we'll certainly get into the challenges with NIL. I do want to piggyback on you mentioned academically mm-hmm. the spring twenty twenty three semester saw Tennessee's. More than 550 total student-athletes achieve a cumulative grade point average of 3.38. It's the highest ever recorded. For the first time, all 16 sport programs earned a team GPA of at least 3.0. I think that's a great achievement. How important is it for Tennessee to continue? I mean, what does that tell you about the balance of the athletic success with the academic success? Um, it, it's, uh, to me, it, it says a lot. First off, uh, they're committed to the academics, which is what they're there for in the first place. And, and b- by the way, it's a good thing I wasn't over there because I'd have brought that average down. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I, I think that's pretty strong for them to be in a position 
I think some of it, I think, is motivated by the fact that if you stay eligible, you get $6,000. The other thing is they're not only competitive on the field, they're competitive in the classroom. And and I think there's a really good feeling. I think most of the student-athletes at Tennessee right now enjoy going to football practice or, or whatever sport it is. They enjoy going to practice. They like to compete in the classroom. They get along. You'll see football players at baseball games, baseball players at football games, etc., You've got a lot of support within the it's program. It's, it's a great environment, a great culture at Tennessee. Part of that culture includes academics. And that starts at, I guess, well, it really starts with the president and the chancellor and then the athletic director and then the coaches and then filters <clears> down <throat> from there, right? It does. I, I remember years ago when I had a little bit of an issue with it, uh, Wim Sanderson, the, the basketball coach at Alabama, crusty rascal, uh, was asked at one point, how many of your players graduate? And he said, all of them that want to. Okay, that's kind of a cryptic remark. That almost says, I've got nothing to do with it. Yes, you do. As a coach, you can influence that. You can, if somebody's missing class, you can take away playing time. You can influence whether or not they go to class and pay attention and try to stay academically eligible. That's something that as a coach, you have an influence on. And I think these coaches have struck the balance of competing on the field and competing in the classroom. Now, right now, the basketball team, the men's team, is over in Italy. Mm-hmm. They're doing, a, they're playing a few exhibition games. They can do that. I guess what is it? Once every four years, they can do Correct. that. So they're, uh, I'm sure that'll be a great <clears throat> bonding. A lot of new faces on the basketball team. We got some, of course, some recruits, also mm-hmm. some transfers that came through the portal. Of course, then Santiago Vescovi came mm-hmm. back, as did Josiah Jordan James. Consensus seems to be out there, top fifteen, top top fifteen to top twenty team. What do you think? What do you th- what do you see on the horizon for men's basketball this I'm, year? I'm in that range, top fifteen, top twenty. Uh, I'm having trouble seeing getting to the top ten, Jim. The thing I, uh, that I think's missing from this team, which I thought was missing from last year's team, I don't see. <clears throat> excuse me, a reliable inside score. I think that's the problem. Uh, Olivier Comois would give you twenty seven one game and maybe. <sighs> for the next. You didn't know what you're going to get. Uh, now, they need Jonas Adu or Awaka or somebody to come through as an inside scorer. That's why Grant Williams was so valuable to Tennessee the last couple of years he was in a ball uniform. They won 31 games uh, his last season at Tennessee. and Because and, whenever, the, whenever the other team got on a run, you could feed it inside to Grant Williams, he'd get you a basket. He was automatic. You don't have that right now, and that's my concern. That's why I see Tennessee having – they did it a year ago. They had these scoring droughts because uh, they couldn't hit a shot and they couldn't go inside to find an easy basket. So that's my concern. Everything else I like, <clears throat> defensively, shooting, experience, athleticism, they've got all of that. But I just think they right now like an inside score. Do you think the connect kid, the transfer, could <clears throat> potentially be that? I mean, he's yeah. he he plays at all three levels, but he's a big kid. I mean, he's a what is he six nine? Uh, yeah, he could be that, and and he's a guy that can slash and take it to the basket. So I think he could be that guy. Um, I want to see more of it, but uh, that the potential is there for him to be a good inside scorer, which is what they need. Uh, I don't know that they would post him up much. Yeah, I agree with that. He's uh, not a back-to-the-basket guy. And, and they've got a big kid that's coming in, J.P. Estrella. Uh, he can shoot the three. So that's the thing. It'll be interesting to see how much he plays inside versus on the perimeter. Yeah, it will. What do you see for the Lady Vols basketball team with Kelly Harper, Jolly? <clears throat> I see some transfers. <laughs> they um, Kelly Harper didn't sign a high school player. 
Everybody she brought in is a transfer, and the transfers she brought in are really good players. I like them. They brought in a really good guard. <coughs> Excuse me, who's from the state of Tennessee. They brought in a really good player from the ACC. Uh, they brought in a former player from Farragut. Uh, I think all of them will contribute. Rakia Jackson is one of the best players in the nation. I think that they're going to really enjoy uh, having another great year out of Rakia Jackson. Uh, they're good at guard. Uh, I think um, Tamari Key coming back is going to be a big factor for them on the inside. Uh, she's a very good scorer. She's a, she's the best shot blocker in school history. So I, th- I think if she can play at that level, coming off the blood clots, I think that's going to help them a lot. So I think the I think the Lady Vols will be even better than they were last year. We're visiting with Jimmy Hines this morning, talking about Tennessee sports and the upcoming academic year. Kicks off with football. You know, UT is the only school to to, pl- to play in a New Year's Six Bowl game, <clears throat> advance to the Sweet 16 in both men's and women's basketball, and send both their softball and baseball teams to the College World Series. So it's been yeah. quite a year for Tennessee. When we come back, we're going to have more with Jimmy. I want to talk about the changing landscape, including the breakup of the Pac-12 and NIL. What's the future for college athletics and how vastly different is it? And, and where are we in five or ten years? We'll also have our dollars and cents segment. What do we make of the credit downgrade from Fitch of the U.S. Treasuries from AAA to AA Plus? So stay with us. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Thanks for tuning in to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI. We're visiting with Jimmy Hyam, sports sports animal legend who recently retired, still fills in some on the sports animal. And we're talking about UT sports. His football kickoff is just right around the corner. Before we get back to Jimmy, it is time for Dollars and Cents. Want to be sure you are getting the most out of your retirement? For all the years of your retirement? That's the primary goal of More Living with Jim Brogan and our Dollars and Cents segment, where we provide you with an important financial tip that will help positively impact the quality of your life in retirement. And now, here's Jim with this week's Dollars and Cents tip. How substantial is it that Fitch downgraded the United States credit rating? That just happened this week. It's it's uh, it, it's interesting because it was 12 years ago, and it was when we hit the debt ceiling in 2011 that Standard & Poor's downgraded the U.S. credit rating. And now Fitch has done it, Down, downgraded it to AA+. Uh, Moody's continues to rate U.S. debt at AAA. Uh, so now Fitch and Standard & Poor's have downgraded it many Economists, big talking heads around the country have criticized the move, said it's either strange or even bizarre and inept. Janet Yellen says, I strongly agree with Fitch's decision and stressed that the Treasury securities remain the world's preeminent safe and liquid asset. I think both of those things are right. I think it is a significant thing to keep our eye on. However, I also think that the U.S. Treasury is still the world's preeminent safe and liquid asset. Uh, now, could that change in the future? Sure. 
I don't see an alternative out there right now. Now, there are signs of cracks in that, you know, we've got China and Brazil and Russia and India are creating, you know, they've created an alignment of sorts to try to come up with either some sort of a uniform alternative currency to buy oil. Um, That's going to be a while down the road as well. The bottom line is, We have some fiscal problems here in the United States. And if I read from the Fitch's press release, they say this, the rating downgrade of the United States reflects the expected fiscal deterioration over the next three years, a high and growing general government debt burden, and the erosion of governments relative to AA and AAA rated peers over the last two decades that has manifested itself in repeated debt limit standoffs and last-minute resolutions. And, of course, that last part is a nod to the chaos and the dysfunction in Washington, D.C. So we are now at a point with the, with the increases in interest rates. Our, our debt payments, our interest on the debt is now up to right at 14% of our GDP. Uh, we were at 9% just a couple of years ago because interest rates were so low. Well, now it's up around 14%. And when it gets up around 14 and certainly 15%, our interest expense as a percentage of GDP, what we typically see is the market start to put forces on Washington to try to get the debt down. And the government knows this. The Federal Reserve knows this. The Federal Reserve would, I think, love to lower rates to help with the interest on the debt but they can't right now because of the inflationary trends, and I think you're probably going to see another bump in inflation over the next few months. I think it could end up bumping back up before it goes back down more. So we have a lot of challenges. What it, what should you as an investor be doing? I think a couple of takeaways I would have. One, if you're a younger person, let's say under 50, I think that you need to understand there's probably going to be changes in our, in our Social Security and Medicare system uh, for you. That may, that may just mean raising full retirement age. We can save, we, we can solve the Social Security problem pretty easily by just raising full retirement age to 69 or 70, which is essentially a cut in the benefit. Um, now, Medicare is a completely different challenge, and it's kind of the elephant in the room. But we don't have a political system right now. We don't have, our politics don't, don't really want to tackle this issue. And I think the longer we wait, the more of an issue that it could be. So I think if you're a younger person, you need to be even more reliant on your own savings and your own investing. That means living within your means and setting aside money, paying yourself first. And then for those of you who are already near retirement or in retirement, uh, don't panic. I mean, I don't see things falling apart. I believe in the ingenuity of American people and American companies. Um, you know, in many ways, we could see another growth boom because of uh, technology and, and artificial intelligence and all those things that are developing that have really kind of helped spur the stock market growth this year. The key is to not chase the hot return. Don't take unnecessary risks, but you do need to structure stability of income in retirement. So that's having safe and stable assets that you can draw from in the early years of retirement and then leave your risk investments alone for longer-term growth because you're going to need to fight inflation in later years of your retirement. 
That's our Dollars and Cents segment for this week. You can find this week's Dollars and Cents segment and others by visiting BroganFinancial.com. Do please visit us at BroganFinancial.com. You can click on radio and download all of our uh, podcasts. Now, my next college class through the universities is through Pellissippi State Community College, and it is at Pel- uh, it's out at the Hardin Valley location. And it is a one-night class on August the 29th at 6.30 p.m. on income planning specifically. So in one two-hour session, I'm going to cover all the major things I think you you just got to know about income planning in retirement. That will include Social Security election. It'll include tax planning. It'll include how to structure income in retirement. You can, you can find out more information at Pellissippi Retirement Income. Dot com. That's PellissippiRetirementIncome.com. For my entire class schedule this fall, including the University of Tennessee's adult education, check us out at BroganFinancial.com, and you can click on classes. Now, we're visiting with Jimmy Hyams, as this is such an exciting time of year. Once we get to early September, Jimmy, I think I'm going to be about ready to jump out of my skin on Labor Day <laughs> weekend to watch college football in Tennessee. So it is an exciting time of year, but let's step back for a minute. When we booked you for this show, I had no idea that in the two preceding days, the Pac-12 was pretty much going to be toast. Mm-hmm. We have had, in the last three days, yeah. we've had Oregon and Washington have announced they're going to the Big Ten. Yep. And Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah have announced they're going to the Big 12. Yep. What is your perspective on all the realignment that's going on? I'm surprised that it happened this quickly. Uh, Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, said at the – SEC football media days a couple of weeks ago, he said, I hope that things settle down as far as conference realignment. He said, we need to settle down for a couple of years here, and then I can see realignment in the future. And two weeks later, (laughs) we've got what you just said, these teams bolting. Uh, In my opinion, the Pac-12 is history. I think it's going to become the Mountain West or the Pac-West or the Mountain 12 or whatever you want to call it. I thought it was interesting that they said that if the Pac-12, which only has four teams right now after 2024, that if they try to annex somebody from the Mountain West, it's going to cost $32 million per team. Well, you can't do that. You don't have any money anyway. The inability of the Pac-12 to come up with a TV package is what led to their undoing. Well, and the Big 12 beat them to the punch. I think yep. the Pac-12's, uh, their, their contract was up a year before the Big 12's, but the Big 12, the commissioner was smart, and he jumped in line and kind of got that done first. He did, and the Pac-12 was talking about streaming, and we're going to make money Apple. off streaming and Apple. And and I think that uh, there was too much um, concern about the ability to turn that into financial dollars. So I, I think that that's what led to the, the Pac-12. They're, they're all chasing the dollar, right? So uh, so I, I'm, I'm really surprised that it's happened this quickly. And I kind of hate the Pac-12 has been around since, what, 1915? Uh, and they're gone now. And then, and that leads to this question: You talk, you know, I talked about this earlier. Was it due to the Rose Bowl? Could the, could the granddaddy the, of them all? Yes, and and they they will tell you they're the granddaddy of them all. They're very proud of what they do in the Rose Bowl. Would the Big Ten championship game ever move to the Rose Bowl? That would be very interesting. I don't if it know. Did. But they're, they're I don't see of, them having it there every year, but I could see them doing that every three or four years. Yeah. I mean, it'd be very, very nostalgic. Yeah, trying to jump in. I think Indianapolis has it right now. So uh, there's a lot of uncertainty about that type thing. But 
for the for the, the Stanfords and the Cows and the Washington States, Oregon State, the te- the the remaining teams from the Pac-12, they're going to have to find another team because, in my opinion, the Pac-12 is history. I don't see any way in the world they can survive. I know uh, football, Jimmy, is driving all this, but. I mean, what does this look like when Washington's playing at Rutgers or Maryland in baseball in late February, early March? I mean, and they got to fly all the way across the country, and it's a non-revenue sport. Well, let's use, let's use another sport like women's soccer or something like that, because that, baseball can be a break-even type sport. Yeah. But what does that look like when the soccer team's going from Washington to New Jersey? It's a financial drain. There, there's no question about it. It also... Uh, in my opinion, puts a student-athlete in a difficult situation. Think about having to fly across country and then go compete in a sport. Baseball, volleyball, whatever it is. Basketball, doesn't matter. I think that's very taxing on an athlete to do that. And so this money you're making from your TV package, some of that's going to be drained by your travel expenses. And so I, I think that's really tough. I wonder... They're going to have to break into divisions, I would think. And I wonder if they're going to try to uh, have uh, break it into divisions where nobody on the East Coast is going to be in the same division as somebody on the West Coast. Yeah, you have a Big Ten West and a Big Ten East. Mm-hmm. Be a lot, which I uh, hate to slam them over the whole legends and leaders things, but that'd be better names, <laughs> wouldn't they? Yes, it would be. <laughs> I'll tell you what, we're going to get to our last break. When we come back, I want to talk about the changing landscape with NIL and, and the players getting paid. We're in the very early phases of this. How does this change the game moving forward? So stay with us as we visit with Jimmy Hyams. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Thanks for tuning in. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm Jim Brogan. We're visiting with Jimmy Hyams, sports legend from the Sports Animal, and we're talking about UT Sports Jimmy, I mentioned there about NIL, name, image, and likeness. With that and the transfer portal combined, kind of coming at the same time, how is this changing college athletics, and where do you see this in five years? Do we do we have to have a way to somehow structure this and have controls, but would the courts even, would the law even allow that? I don't think the law of the courts will allow it. I, I don't think you can... Uh, take the situation that we have right now, and somebody said, well, just do what the NFL does. The NFL's a, <clears throat> a private enterprise. They've got 32 owners. They all agree on everything. How many colleges are out there? Thousands at all levels, Division One, Division Three, whatever. I think it's hard to get an agreement from that many people. Uh, I don't think Congress is going to come to the rescue like some people hope. Um, I think the toothpaste is out of the tube. I don't know how you put it back in. I don't like the way NIL is structured. I do think that it's fine for college athletes to make money. I don't like college athletes being recruited and being told, we're going to pay you $2 million a year for as long as you're on our campus to, to lure them to go to their college. I don't like that. I, I, uh, Nick Saban was right. He said it's going to become free agency with the transfer portal and as far as recruiting players. And, and Lane Kevin made the point, uh, what's going to happen is you're just going to recruit – there's free agency in the NFL, but once you sign a contract, you you might have to stay there for five years, right? Well, these kids can sign with somebody, stay for a year, then go somewhere else and try to make more money. 
there's there's too much in my opinion there's too much freedom that's been given to the student athlete right now it's really hurting those mid-major schools they sign a it kid is. that's a that's a diamond in the rough he breaks out and then all of a sudden he's going to another school exactly i mean and it's completely changed the basketball landscape do you want to because two or three players in basketball can completely change your team Whereas yes. football, you, two or three players, I mean, it helps, but you got to, you can completely change the profile of your team. So, do you want to start putting all that time for three or four years into a recruit starting their freshman year when you can go find a great transfer? Well, we mentioned the Lady Vols. They didn't sign a player in high school. Yes, they signed three. Shocking. They got three transfers, and, and they're good, and, and they will help the Tennessee team. But I don't necessarily like the, the direction. I, I do like the idea of in the transfer portal that you at least put some parameters on when you can enter it. So that you can't just up on August fifteenth, uh, you don't like what's going on with your football practice, so you enter the portal and you leave and go to another school that could be a competing school. So at least they've got some windows of which you can enter it. With the NIL, my preference would be once you get to college and establish yourself, then you can make money. But again, I don't like that. There was a player at Florida that was going to go there for thirteen million dollars, and their collective said, uh, "We don't have thirteen million dollars," so he went somewhere else. So. The kids are shopping themselves or their parents or their coach or somebody is shopping these kids around. And I, I don't like where this is going. And I think it, it destroyed A&M season last year. They the, signed the locker these, room, the, the it, impact on the locker room. Absolutely. They gave all these incoming freshmen all this money. Veterans didn't get it. And so they had a, the, the culture was awful. They had a losing record. And they probably had top five talent in the SEC. Jimmy, we mentioned the Tennessee budget now. Athletic budget is up over $200 million. Mm-hmm. Highest it's ever been. That's money going through the school. Then you've got the NIL. Yeah. You've got the Sports Collective, Spire. I mean, at what point are there just not enough dollars to go around? I mean, one, one of the things that's always been interesting to me is, like, in the NFL – the money goes to the players and the coaches. You know, they have decent facilities, but not like we have in the college. Right. So so the way the t- colleges have competed with each other since they can't pay athletes is by building facilities and experience and all that. And they've got all this huge amount of money in that. But now they're competing. I mean, NILs, the, the Spire's trying to raise money and the University of Tennessee's trying to raise money. Can those? I mean, how do we balance all that? What's the long-term prognosis for that? Uh, my thought was that you'd have a lot of people that would say, I'm either donating to the athletic department or I'm donating to the collective. Uh, what we have found so far is that I guess there are enough people doing both. Because There are right now. Because the budget's $202 million, and the collective has enough money to pay an incoming quarterback too many a year. So there's enough money there. And there's also the Boost Her Club which takes care of the Lady Vols players. So uh, I think there's been enough money so far to to help both situations. Well, Jimmy Himes, I hate we're out of time. Thanks so mm. much for taking time out of your busy schedules. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Jim, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That's Jimmy Himes, just retired from the sports animal, really a legend in the industry and in our area. We congratulate him on his retirement. Uh, but you can still clear him. Uh, he, he still fills in a good bit on sports animals, so he's not going anywhere. Thank you for tuning in this week. We've discussed great athletics and great community through the university because a greater community provides for more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. Thank you to Chris for, for engineering the board. Thank you to Jill for helping produce the show. This is More Living with Jim Brogan on News Talk 98.7 WOKI.
The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.